podcast where we read the 1001 books to tell them whether they're really worth your time or not. I'm Chelsea and I am a lover of Harry Potter and any really good book that's going to make me sob hysterically, though I haven't read any recently. And I'm Nicole, also a lover of Harry Potter and a love of historical fiction to the point where I will assume that all historical facts in books are true, even when I'm sure they're not. (laughs) Even when I know they're not well researched, I still accept them as true. (laughs) So... Today, we're going to get started on our book, but first, we want to talk about what we've been reading lately. So, Nicole, what have you been reading? Uh, last night, I just finished uh, What Happened, Hillary Clinton's book about the election, which I really enjoyed, and it made me feel like it was really cool just to kind of see an insider's view. I think it would have been cool from either side, actually, to get that perspective. Um, and it made me, I don't know, it made me feel like good things about Americans when I haven't always felt that way this last year. But the coolest book-related fact that I learned is that in one part, she's kind of talking about her family and her home life, and she talks about how her and Bill Clinton are very meticulous about keeping track of what they read, uh, and how Bill Clinton has a system where he writes them all in a little journal, and it's a three-star system where he puts stars. And I was like, that's what I do. Bill Clinton and I keep track of our reading in the same way. That's so cool. Personal connection. (laughs) And I was like, I just want to write them a letter to tell them that, that that's the thing I got out of her book. (laughs) <laughs> but I really I really enjoyed it. It was very thought-provoking. Exactly what she intended everyone to yeah. get out of her I book. mean, the other stuff was great, too, but related to a book podcast, that is the most standout point. That's pretty <laughs> What about funny. you? I have just started listening to um, Armada, which is oh, the book, book, second book by Ernest Klein, who's the author of Ready Player One. And I'm actually doing it in audiobook form, which I really like because the narrator is Will Wheaton, who's a pretty famous, like... He was on Star Trek. Nerd con yeah. person into does a lot of stuff on the internet for um kind of geeky things and so his voice is really familiar to me and so I'm enjoying it that way a lot so it's been kind of fun to listen to in the car yeah I read Ready Player One and then last year I listened to it on audiobook again like while working out so I could be kind of distracted from it you know and Mm -hmm. and it was Will Wheaton and it was a really good audiobook Uh, and I Armada I really I don't think it's as good as Ready Player One but I still really liked it yeah, uh, a lot. So. I'm pretty excited. It seems like Ender's Game meets like nerd culture. Yeah, it's it totally has some. T- <laughs> it's totally like an ode to Ender's Game, like a modern ode to Ender's Game. But it's a cool premise. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. So yeah. All right. Well, so this week our tenth tenth book yeah. is we are one percent. I know. Done. <laughs> it's so exciting. Uh, our tenth book is Around the World in Eighty Days by Jules Verne, which was originally published in 1873. So before we get into more about this book, I just want to say that I said in the last podcast that I used to own this book and I had sent it to Goodwill because I never read it and so I had to buy it again. And I went on Amazon and I just bought the cheapest one that was on Amazon Prime. And when it came in the mail, it was in a really big envelope. <laughs> and it was hard. The whole, like, legal size envelope. And so I opened it up and my my copy is, like, the pages are, like, eight and a half by 11. And the whole book's just 100 pages because the pages are, lo- looks like a workbook. But it's not um, edited at all. It's the full story in 100 pages that are humongous. So the whole time I was reading it, I had to carry it around. It wouldn't fit in my purse. <laughs> And I was just, I was like embarrassed that I have to explain to people why I had this weird size copy. And now on my bookshelf where I'm putting all the podcast ones, it doesn't fit. Like I can't put it in order because it looks so weird in the middle of the shelf. So I have to put it on the end. <laughs> and I was just like, man, I had a perfectly good copy of this that I bought in another country. It was so cool. And now I have this really weird one. <laughs> and if you'll um, look at our thumbnail or follow us on Instagram or Facebook, 
this book is the only book of the picture this week because I just found it so funny. Yeah. So yeah. my so, normal copy, not there. So just an advisory, you know, when you're buying books, look at the dimensions, not something you'd ever think you'd have no. to do. But, and I just don't know, like, why do they even make this version? There's no introduction in it. There's like, there's nothing. It's just the pages. It's very And it's limited. oddly spaced the words mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. And it, I don't like, it's like, because children who could read this book aren't like beginning readers that would want big pages like this. And it's, and the print isn't big. So it's no. not like for people who have sight impairment. It's very strange. It's an odd copy. But now they I have this. They were trying to make it look fancy, but they didn't even yellow the pages. Yeah. The outside is what kind of looks like it's like a leather book would look with like gold embossed. But it's just, it's not. It's just paper. So <laughs> It's pretty great. Yeah. So before we move into the spoiler section, how would you describe this book in one word uh, my one word would probably be adventure which is pretty obvious this is an adventure novel I think everybody knows that what's your word um, my word is pretty spot on the nose too and it is circumnavigate whoa oh, deep. <laughs> You're uh, so deep we went we went real in with this yes one. okay so to, if we were going to describe this book in one sentence uh, the sentence we came up with was Phineas Fogg that's the main character travels the world on a bet pursued by the law and beset by obstacles and so going from this point forward we're going to talk way more about the plot and details so if you really want to read this first go ahead and come back to us and we will mark this point uh, and when the spoilers end in the show notes perfect and we hope you come back because we're going to do a really fun quiz after the spoilers that you yeah. should be looking forward to yes. so. so overall thoughts about this book chelsea first impressions i mean i didn't hate it I didn't love it. That's it. That's every episode. Um, <laughs> but it was just, it was what I expect from 1870s male writing literature. Like it wasn't, it wasn't anything outside of what I would expect from that. It was exactly what I expected it would be. Right. I totally agree. The last time I read Jules Verne was in sixth grade. Um, which I read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea for one of my like outside of class books. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering like when these books, when his, cause all his books are like adventure novels like that. But I think when they were first published, they weren't for children. They were for adults. No. Yeah. Because if you, and the only reason I feel confident in saying that is because in Back to the Future 3, when they're talking about Jules Verne, when they're in the whole West, <laughs> see what I mean about historical facts? Um, the, definitely a true fact, guys. Yep. Uh, when they travel, then they like, they talk about read adults reading it. But now I would say that these books are often things that we like consider children or, or like or middle readers because yeah I they're not say they're, it'd be like early young adult early young adult yeah and that because they're adventure novels and that's something we associate with youth you know and a lot of the mo- movies have been made out of these that are kind of children's disney movies yeah. which by the way i wanted to try to watch because i remember seeing the likes most recent edition of this movie with Jackie Chan that and I was which I remember being a terrible terrible movie and I was gonna rewatch it before this but it, it's not on Netflix anymore so I couldn't oh. <laughs> um but I realized that that movie even though I only vaguely remember it definitely colored like the images I had in my mind as I was reading it see I haven't seen any of the movies for these books or for any of Jules Fern's books and so I didn't have that going into it but I do know that they are pretty much made into not not super young children's movies but yeah because there's like the journey to the center of the earth ones with the guy who was in the hunger games and and, um what's that 
some Brendan Fraser, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a children's movie. And I was just trying to look up, um, it's not working for me, but what the like common sense media age rating for the book was, uh, but they don't have an age rating for this one. Uh, for the movie, they say 10 plus, but I would say for the book, this is probably a 13 or 14 plus book in what I would recommend it for. Um, being such a teacher right now. <laughs> oh, so, but so when we're talking about kids, we're not like saying like, oh yeah, no, your like seven-year-old should read yeah, this. That's, yeah, that's uh, a good point. Yeah, just uh, to middle, clarify middle what, schoolers, what yeah. we mean by like middle schoolers yeah. or the high school. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this book was really kind of what I expected it to be. It was an adventure novel. It was honestly, I thought it was pretty dry um, because it would spend a long time being like, and then they went from blah 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 to blah 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 and blah 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 to blah 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 and blah 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 and it'd be like a paragraph about that and so that part wasn't very intriguing to me I don't need to imagine how they traveled across the U.S. city by city well the thing is is that when this came out the idea that you could get around the world 80 days was novel it was a brand new thing that you could do that so those details about like this train to this train to this was steamer cool. was cool but now we're just like you can get around the world in like on a plane in like 40 hours or something right yes. so um, and I know you have much stronger feelings about this book <laughs> than I do because we've already kind of chatted a little bit but we held off so share with us how you felt about this book okay so I expected oh this book will be, probably be fine like I don't expect to love it or hate it you know um I kind of it's gonna be adventure novel it's a story I know already and then I was stunned, which I probably shouldn't have been, by I found this book to be incredibly racist because basically every part of the world they go into, they taught the two main characters, um, Phineas and Passport, Bow, Passaporte, Pass- Passaporte I don't... something, his, like his servant, they talk about, oh, the scenery here in India, the scenery here, it's like the scenery here and is so beautiful and the people are savages. Like every, every single country they like talked are in and and constantly constantly about how it's so good that the English colonized this place because they brought such great culture here and civilization and made Hong Kong into a great city and it's so good that China had to cede like Hong Kong to the UK for over a hundred years because they lost a war until 1999 like you know more than a hundred years and and just that oh and the English are so good they they like allow the natives to practice their own religion and, you know and it's just like I was just like Oh, I found it so disgusting that I would never want to put this book into the hands of a, cur- a child, a current day child, <laughs> because I feel like it, it's enough for me that it loses all other merit as because there's there's other good adventure novels that are more recent that don't have all these problems. See, and my thing was that I was picturing that like I know my brother read this in like eighth or ninth grade um, and we expose eighth and ninth graders to like Diary of Anne Frank. Cry the Beloved Country, a lot of books that have, granted, those are different, completely different level of books. I'm not trying to compare them. But I think if we expect um, a kid that age to be able to disseminate, like, hatred in Nazi Germany and racism in South Africa, I think you can also have a level of respect for the intelligence that they're going to know that this was a result of colonialism. Because in terms of, not colonialism, wrong word. Uh, I think that's the right word. Is that the right word? I'm trying to yeah. think of a uh, uh, no, white I'll supremacy. Come, no, I'll come <laughs> back to it. Um, well, here's the difference: is I think that those books, like Cry the Love of Country and Diary Anne Frank, I think they have other merit in the story 
in addition to the fact that they're covering this difficult thing, this book, I think it's just an adventure novel. There's no depth to it. So so I don't think it's worth it. I don't think the adventure is worth because I don't think there's enough racism in there to be like, we're going to spark a conversation about colonialism and race. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not and it's not like about a bigger thing like apartheid or World War Two. And well, yeah, I mean, those know? are bad examples. So I just meant we were trusting or even those like kids intelligence. I, I feel like, you know, we lots of people make the argument that we still read Huckleberry Finn because it's a great American novel, even though it uses the N word so many times. And we all know that I hate that book for other, cause it's boring, <laughs> but, and I don't even know if that, if I really agree with that argument that it's worth it because of the racism in there, but at least it's like, there's other things about the broader historical context that it's like about in this book, this book, I think it, there's nothing else. Well, and so I don't, I, so I don't think it's worthwhile. I do think this book, I guess the thing where I think that it has some merit is in what you were kind of saying about how it really shows how the idea of being able to travel the world was such a crazy yeah. thing and being yeah. able to move around was such a crazy thing. And I, I just don't think it's an egregious. Yeah. I don't think it's egregiously yeah. racist in a way that you wouldn't expect from a novel being written in the 1800s. Yeah. And I, I, that's the other thing though, is that if you're going to say that it says something good about travel, because normally, normally I think that sentence would be followed by because it talks about how traveling and seeing other types of people broadens us and it mm-hmm. makes us more accepting and it like changes our perspective. But in this book, Phineas just goes around the world and he doesn't like interact with any natives if he can help it anywhere and he just plays whist and sits on the train and doesn't talk to anyone so I don't he doesn't really he doesn't really grow I don't mean like in terms of travel I I mean like the idea that the world is like oh that technology has advanced yeah yeah. it's one of the it's like the idea that you can not I, I, I he does not get off this train and talk to anyone which is just yeah, he's like really little sidekick it. guy is an idiot but yeah. I just I think that it's hard to something I've been thinking about with this podcast is how often these books are gonna have racist yeah. or sexist themes in them or just like blankest things like mm-hmm. for all yeah. areas and there's a quote from the West Wing <laughs> uh, where the first lady is saying like good or bad it's our history and I think that if you're reading something from the perspective of this was the time it was written and this is a symptom of its time and you know as a modern person yeah clearly this isn't correct I don't think that there's I don't think there's any harm in reading this book. I think it it offers imperialism. That's the word I'm trying to Imperialism, yes. It does I think have it does, a strong it theme offers, of imperialism. It offers yes. a good look at what yeah. British imperialism looked like. And how British people were just like, not did not criticize it in any way. No, yeah. and so because mm-hmm. the main character, Phineas Fogg, is so like, British best, British great. Look at how British these towns are. And you could think you were in Britain. And then they get to America and he's like, America bad. Yeah, um, and even like this Indian woman that I end up falling in love with, she's so great because she's more, she's acts British. And that's yeah. why she's lovable. And so I do think it offers a really good look into imperialism. Yeah. And I so I, I feel like if we um, trust... 13 and 14 year olds or even adults to be able to find messages within novels that have racist things in them. I don't think that this is any more harmful than any other one that has racist things because I feel like I'm trusting maybe in today's day and age of shithole countries. I shouldn't apparently that was said with 
much, much sarcasm, sarcasm, I would like to clarify. Yes, we don't believe that at <laughs> There all. were actually quotes up in my hand. Um, I, I want to <laughs> trust that adults are able to, and even teenagers that were training yeah. them correctly, and they're able to get something from this about yeah. what the world was like back then without being like, oh, I need to say terrible things about people who are Chinese and call them China man. Like, yeah. I think that we can trust that from people, maybe not our president. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> you saying that makes me think that I guess like this might be a good book if you were teaching it in school, or if you were giving it to your teenage children to read that it would be a really accessible jumping off point to have those conversations. Cause it's not a book where they're like, oh, obviously you're trying to give me this thing that's going to be serious. It doesn't come off that way at first. So you're like, oh, you're giving me this fun book, but then you'd be a good way to yeah. start those conversations. And that, I think that's why I so, didn't hate it. Yeah. Because I felt like this so, is a really accessible novel to learn about British imperialism, yeah, and yeah. it's done in a very, like, it's a fictionalized novel. So it seems, it doesn't seem like you're reading a history book. But it's very clear that he is super pro-Britain, super no one else. Yeah. Like, th- this character makes me feel like, oh, I, I see why... The general British people at this time were, like, totally fine that Britain was trying to basically conquered almost everywhere in the world at one point in history. And it was just like, yep, this is the best thing to do. They must have had really good government propaganda to make that to do in like the way because the people were just taught it as they grew up. Or just were so, like, if you think back then, like, in this novel, it's knew that you could travel the world in 80 days when you're so isolated and so in your one place with your one people. Of course, you're going to think your one place and your one people are is the best yeah and so i think that maybe the reason i didn't find such a fence in from it is because i was naturally automatically because you can't turn teacher brain off going in from a teacher Mm, perspective like where would i find the merit in this yeah did you know that uh you know queen victoria because because they uh the the uk at that time was controlling india and so her one of her titles was like empress of india Mm -hmm. right and so every day during her entire life she'd have um, the cooks make a huge pot of curry every day, just in case an Indian subject happened to come to the palace. And I did every, not and, but know she that. didn't like it. She thought curry was gross, so they would make it <sighs> and then they would throw it away every day. Huh. I mean, I learned that from a movie, Young Victoria, but I think that it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fact number two that we're not really sure of the truthfulness of. <laughs> I mean, it's probably on Wikipedia. <laughs> Because Wikipedia is truth. I know, I know, I know. Hey, I'm not in college anymore. I'm not writing. I didn't write writing any papers. So I don't have to use uh, other sources. Is there anything else that you found interesting in this book? Because I um, have a couple of quotes that I thought were particularly funny. Um, are some of those about Americans? Yes, they okay, are. Okay, yeah, because I, I want to talk about that. So why don't you give us one of those quotes? So mm. the author, being a British man in the 1800s, clearly was still a little sore on the subject that of America not being colonies. <laughs> yeah, a hundred years later. Literally. You know, can't really let go of yeah. that one. And so he said some pretty funny things about uh, Americans in the course of this novel. And one of my favorites was this conversation that uh, they land in San Francisco. When they're in San Francisco, they see something that they basically think is like, not a riot, but basically a riot. And they're like, mm-hmm. all these people are upset and what's going on? And then Phineas is later asking a porter on their train what was going on. And the porter goes, it was a political meeting, sir. And then Phineas responds, but I thought there was a great deal of disturbance in the streets. And then the porter, it was only a meeting assembled for an election. Phineas, the election of a general in chief, no doubt, said Mr. Fogg. 
And then the porter goes, no, sir, a justice of the peace. Yep. My- <laughs> I thought that was so funny. <laughs> I have two favorite ones. One, when they're on the train going across America, Phineas Fogg, like, gets in a fight with a man that he originally fought with at that political meeting and they want to have a duel and they go to the conductor and say you have to stop the train because we're gonna have this duel and the conductor's like no I have to stay on schedule you know we have to keep going but it's fine if you just do the duel here while we're moving and basically like only in America would be like it's fine just shoot each other on the train that's totally okay use this empty train car and I think the best one was when he was in China he had to he missed a boat and he had to pay someone like get me to this to catch up with the boat to the next port as fast as possible and and they're like putting all the steam into it they can you know to try to get there in time and they're basically like oh like and they're like he's like go faster and he's like you know only an american could go faster like that's crazy and then phineas is like well if you if we went we were americans we might blow up but we would get there on time <laughs> Which I feel like is still a stereotype about Americans, about how we want to blow, yeah. like we're big and loud and blow things up and push the limit and like, like we'll get there on time, but we'll all be dead. You know, I think that's. Well, and that <laughs> happens on another part in the book because the plane, uh, the plane, mm. the no plane <laughs> um, has had to stop and they're saying um, that they can't go across this bridge because it's really rickety. And it may be taken for granted that rash as the Americans usually are, when they are prudent, there is good reason for it. Right. Like, if the American is worried, be worried. And I think that's still true also. I feel like that's still a reasonable I thing just to thought say. that was so funny. <laughs> so there was a lot of uh, America bashing, which I thought was humorous. Uh, also, we got a complete history of the Mormons. Yeah, just in the middle when they're going through Utah. We just For a little lot about, to no reason. A lot about, like, Mormons, how they ended up in Utah because they were pushed out and, like, that's, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like at that time, Mormonism was only like 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And so it was probably, and it was, I mean, it's referred to as a cult in the book. Yeah. Um, and, and so I feel like people were probably really interested in it. the same way when we were like, oh, in that little town near where we grew up, there's that cult that worships potatoes or whatever. And yeah. it's like kind of an interesting story. And obviously, I don't think most people would describe Mormonism that way anymore. But when something's brand new, almost any religion, right? You're just like, oh, like, what is this? Yeah, I thought it was yeah. so funny. Um, I I really enjoy, like, I really was interested in the Phineas Fogg as a character because he was such a weirdo and he was so eccentric and he was so precise and he just lived this very, like, he was very off, rigid. rigid life, regimented life. And so there's a, there's a quote that's... Um, if to live in this style is to be eccentric, it must be confessed that there is something good in eccentricity. <laughs> and then later it talks about how he, because of the way he's living, he would leave the world without ever having done any good to himself or anybody else. But then it's interesting because in the course of the novel, I mean. He does do a little bit of good. He does a little bit or what he perceives is good. Right. And like, it doesn't seem like a lot, but to him it is because he, he breaks out of his reality yeah tiny bit so i guess that would be the growth but it's pretty minimal yeah yeah and it's it's almost like oh i grew and now i have a wife yeah they may also make a joke about well maybe it wasn't probably wasn't written written in this intention but i thought it was hilarious where they talk about how he just tries to avoid all friction in his life because being in the world causes friction and that and that slow is bad and so he doesn't rub himself on anyone yeah except for instead of the word slow they used retard which is not a word we support which i'm not gonna use which is so interesting though because i read it and i was like that was what that word used to mean but when i see it in text it 
jarred me. Right. And even in the 1870s, they might have been using more like idiot and cripple. More. Mm-hmm. Than, no, more I don't think it was yeah. used the way it's used today with the really negative com- yeah. connotations. I think it was yeah. still used to mean to slow. To slow. Yeah. Um, but I it's read it. It's kind of like in- whenever you see gay to mean happy, you're like, oh, yeah, that's how it was yeah. used. <laughs> and so I read it in the text. Yeah. And for a second, I was really yeah. jarred. And then I was like, oh, wait. Yeah. I'm reading it with my connotations. Right. This is not actually at this point in time something that I should be marking as an ism. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. It's just um, like, this is a, this is the time period. This book. He also Phineas Fogg at one point in the novel. They talk about how he sets up his closet, and it was very satisfactory to my OCD <laughs> uh, that he labels and numbers his clothing by the season in which they could be worn and what things can go together. And I would never take it that far, but I appreciated reading it. <laughs> I feel like I, if he would do like the life changing magic of tidying up and be like, this brings me joy. I'm going to put a number two on it. And it's going to go on this hanger. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was really funny when I was reading that. Uh, yeah. Um, there was something else in here, which I thought was, um, well, it was a historical reference that I only have from the fictional space. Sure. You know, as is That's our, our trend. Thing. Yeah. Um, when they're on the train going across America, they mention the town of Plum Creek, which is from Little House on the Prairie. Oh, yeah. And I was pretty excited about it. Um, so, so I learned something crazy about Little House on the Prairie the other week that shocked me. And so oh, no. I didn't, I read at least some of those books in school, but I never read all of them and I wasn't as into them as I know you were. Mm-hmm. But I was reading this article about how um two actually two facts that were surprised me and it was basically how like laura ingalls wilder the author wrote those books because she needed them need money and that one that her daughter probably did a lot of the writing because she was probably mostly illiterate (laughs) i actually knew that one and two that a lot of it is made up and it's not true it's not what really happened to them her sister went blind but not from scarlet fever it's not even possible to go permanently blind from scarlet it's fever. not you can go blind but only temporarily so she changed facts to make it more sensational and i was just like that I mean, blows my mind because when you read those books as a kid like as a kid and the way teachers talked about yeah. them it's like this is an historical account and it is not at all <laughs> interesting i mean i i assume things are fictionalized a little bit but I didn't know that the whole storylines were made up. Yeah. I did know her daughter probably did most of the writing. Yeah. Yeah. Even though she was like, had qualified to be a teacher. That's true. But a teacher in 18, whatever is different. Knew their letters. A literate person in the modern times. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, they went to Plum Creek in this novel. I did. I did pick it out. And I I was kind of like, why does that sound familiar? And it took me a while to remember what it was. (laughs) I was pretty excited. I knew it right away. Yes. Uh, Yes. Other than that, though, what's interesting about this book is I don't really have a feeling about it. Yeah. Well, I think that's because it doesn't really stand the test of time. Well, uh, here's the thing. I read this great adventure novel last year. Oh, man, I meant to look up the title before we started. Um, I talked about it on the podcast before. It's a young adult book. It's a standalone novel, and it's about a young man who's gay, and he, like, it doesn't, him and his friend are in love with each other. Oh, they um, each other. the gentleman... Yeah, The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. Yeah. And it was so good. And it's same thing, kind of a madcap, like, journey. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and they're in, like, a coming-of-age story. And they're learning about each other. And there's romance. And there's adventure. And it was so good, you know? And I just – and this book, I feel like it's in the tradition. That book's in the tradition of books like this, you know? But I just don't – it doesn't – the pizzazz does not – has not lasted. Even though that book was set in the 1800s. Yeah, but that book was set in the 1800s. With the writing of someone who's today who's going today. back. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the difference. I I would say I 
think this book was probably one of the first, like, what we would call modern, because there's quick travel and they're going to different parts right. of the world, travel books. But I know we're going to have to read other books by him on the list. Yeah. And I bet that they're also adventure books. Yeah, and I think that writes. they're going to yeah. be adventure books without the complexity of having to teach in order for it to have value. Because I think that this does need to be taught as like, make sure you're thinking about this. Right. And it's not, you can't really make a journey to the center of the earth. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, I, when we get to, maybe we should just say whether it's I think, on the yeah, list. So, yeah. Say, I think we're going to decide if it's on the list. And then we'll, then I'll and talk then about we'll why I'm it. thinking it. Okay. Um, All right. I think I know what you're going to say. And I think we're going to disagree. One, two, what? I think we're going to agree. Oh. I'm confused now. Okay. You gave me a weird look. Okay. One, two, three. No. no. Oh, so you thought you were going to say yes. Well, but here's my thing. Because I know we're, I know, I feel like he is, this author oh. is one of the inventors of modern adventure novel or oh, adventure novels. So you're saying novels. that his other adventure novels on the list might be better than this one because yeah. they won't need the explanation to yes. understand like the So, and I don't him. think mm-hmm. we need two of his novels on the list. Yeah. And so I'm hedging my bets a little bit. Yeah. By saying, I bet one of the other two novels we have to read, or it might only be one, whatever one we have to read by him. It's either 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Journey to the Center of the Earth. I'm not sure which. Yeah. Or it might be both. Yeah. But um, I feel like they'll do what this novel is doing, yeah. but without the complexity that where it makes it a little wishy-washy. Yeah. And so I'm hedging my bets that that other one will be just as good and we'll be able to be able to say that it's, yeah. this is a what adventure novels are based yeah. off of because I think he did father a lot of our adventure novels. That's true. And when we yeah. say that one of the reasons books make it on the list is because they're foundational in a genre. So I think yeah. I would have said yes if I knew we weren't reading other things by him because I yeah. think he is foundational well, in a genre, but since I know we are. Yeah, well, I'll give you the right that in 10 years or whenever when we draw that other book, uh, you can always retroactively change this one. Yeah. I'll allow for it. If, if it's for some reason terrible. But I think that this is actually one of his, I think people like the other two better. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I remember liking 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea as a, ki- as a kid mm-hmm. and that it was because it was, you know, the mis- mysteries yeah. of the deep it was really interesting. But I don't really remember anything so, other about it except for a, a submarine and a giant squid. So we shall see. So it's a no, but it's not that I think the author is an invaluable. I just think his other works probably have less complication. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to our next segment. And I'm pretty excited about it. So, Nicole, why don't you tell us about this mug since okay, it's yours? Okay, so I found this mug in on the back of a cover this week that I've had for a few years that I bought at a book festival in L.A. And on the outside, it has, uh, in different like colors and fonts, the first lines of a bunch of Favance novels. And, um, and I, and like I, and then it's on the bottom what they are, but I don't remember. I haven't looked at it in a few years. And so Chelsea picks them out and she's going to quiz me to guess what book it's the first line from. Yes. And I chose a couple of easy ones and then some hard ones. So we shall see. Here is the first one. It was a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. Oh, I think that that's, um, like 1984. Ding, ding, ding. Nice. Read right. the, that one I've read, 1984. Yeah. I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. Ooh, this one sounds really familiar, too. Uh, sick man. I'm a spiteful man. Uh, I, I still, I feel like I'm still in that same genre of, like, dystopian. Um, I'm going to say Brave New World. 
Notes from the Underground by Fyodor oh. Dostoevsky. Oh, I've never even heard of that book. Um, side note, are you? do you like 1984 or Brave New World better? 1984. Oh, I like Brave New World better. I like, I like them I mean, both I like a them lot. Both, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're both on my top because I love dystopian genre, but... Um, in my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. Oh, um, I'm going to go with, um, something by Dickens, uh, David Copperfield. No, but I'm going to give you a second hint. I oh, do- no, the beginning of David Copperfield is, is, and first I was born. Yeah. Dang. That okay. was on here, but I didn't yes. choose that one. Um, I'm going to give you a hint. I don't like this book. You don't like it. Um, in my younger the and great Gatsby, <laughs> <laughs> it's always the great Gatsby. Okay. Um, yeah, we probably talked about that book more than any other book on here and you hate it. <laughs> I know. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune, Pride, must and, prejudice. Stay in life. <laughs> Pride and prejudice, that <laughs> one's I, a given. <laughs> I know it is after that. It is a truth universally acknowledged. Yes. Okay. Classics. Um, Happy families are all alike. Oh. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Oh, yeah. Uh, that sounds really familiar, too. Um, happy families are all alike. It's, I feel like I can like picture the cover of this book. Uh, I, apparently, I just think every one of these books is like like a 1800s English book. <laughs> just like Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens. Um, I'm going to go with... Nicholas Nickleby. I don't know. Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. I have not read that because I usually avoid those um, that era of Russian literature. I was supposed to read it in a class and you in did not college. read it. Did you know that my mom I took a, choose chose to take a Russian literature class in college and liked it? No, that's weird. It's crazy. No, uh, do not. <laughs> those books like. are so intense. I've only, I've tried to read the Brothers of Karamazov twice and I have not succeeded at like different points in life. Never my other it. this one's not those are all the ones I marked yeah. but this one's not so this isn't in the quiz but my other least favorite novel is also on here as Gregor Samsa woke one morning from uneasy dreams he found himself transformed in his bed into a monstrous vermin metamorphosis Kafka yeah, yeah. nope yep <laughs> nope all the nope do you yeah. have a favorite on this cup do I have a favorite um hmm I really I mean I really like the Pride and Prejudice one and Let's see. I'm looking at it now. There's a oh, there's some that are really obvious. Like I am an invisible man, I'm and invisible I am man. Ishmael, or and call I'm me Ishmael. Ishmael is on there. Yeah. Marley was dead to begin with. The Christmas Carol. Um, it was the best of times. Oh, yeah. It was the worst yeah. of times. Also, it's a pleasure. It was a pleasure to burn Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Oh, I love Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, yeah. Is that you on the list? Oh, and this one. I like this one because I really like this book. Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. I don't know what book that is. A Hundred Years of Solitude. Gabriel I haven't read Marcus. that book. Oh, it's so good. I I read that one by him and Love in the Time of Cholera, which I thought was terrible, but A Hundred Years of Solitude is so good. I think I haven't read A Hundred Years of Solitude because I tried Love in the Time of Cholera like three times and yeah. I couldn't make Love it through it. Love in the Time it. of Cholera is not good, but... Um, this was this is like the book that got him famous, oh. too, which I read it in high school. It's been a long time. So I, I just really tried to read it. the wrong one first. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, before we draw our book for next time, I just want to ask you something. Because so I noticed this book trend on Instagram that drives me. It's like making me very annoyed. Um, we've talked before about in here how we both tend to sort our books by color, mm-hmm. so we like the aesthetic. But there's or a, by 
series if they're all like matching right right yeah like all the harry potter books together or like all the podcast books yeah. together or whatever like that but there's this trend on instagram right now for like very minimalist decorating where you turn all the books on your bookshelves around so the pages are facing out so it's like one color and really bland what are your thoughts all the nope yeah it's, well a how are you ever gonna find a book so you are solely doing this for an Instagram picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone has their bookshelves like that in real life because you could never find a book. Right. And only readers own enough books to do it. And readers want to know where their books are. Yeah. It could just be freaking phone books. It wouldn't matter. You know? No, I find yeah. that so obnoxious. I yeah. also, once you, put, I just, I can't get over that once you put them on there, you wouldn't know what book is where. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It just seems like they're just, you could have just bought a bunch of cheap books at Goodwill you've never looked at or whatever. Yep. And it wouldn't matter. And then you don't have them because you love them and they add something to your life. So a true reader would never do that. On the topic of books, uh, Jeremy, uh, my boyfriend and I just recently brought a new bookshelf because oh, yeah. we needed one. I mean, because you're buying all the books for yeah, the podcast no, uh-huh. uh, for our many things, but really for the books for the podcast. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so we went, we went to Ikea which first of all, Jeremy hates. And so I dragged him to Ikea on a Sunday morning and we got this bookshelf and we were meaning to get like a single wide bookshelf that was probably 14 inches wide, but floor to ceiling height basically. And we, of course we bought the mid level. So it wasn't even like a cheap $40 bookshelf because we wanted it to last through a move. And I get home and Jeremy's gone and I'm building it. And (laughs) I don't realize until halfway through building it that this is the double wide version of that bookshelf. So it's about <laughs> 30 inches across, which fits nowhere in our condo nicely. Um, and I'm at the like the point of no return. Like it's halfway built. It is literally <laughs> halfway built. And what happened is it must have been shelved in the wrong bin. Oh, yeah. But you can't really tell from a picture on a box how wide it how is. How wide it is. Right, unless you're looking at the And in the name, yeah. it's the Hemnes or whatever bookshelf. So that's all it says on it. <laughs> and it shows the color black. And then it shows a little mini tiny picture of a bookshelf. And you cannot tell that it's the wide one. Right. So then I half built this bookshelf and I called Nicole all in a kerfluffle about how this bookshelf wasn't going to fit anywhere. I dragged it around the whole house. I broke out the wine because it was necessary. And yeah, and I suggested two things. A, get rid of some other piece of furniture that you have to fit it or B, move. (laughs) Which clearly, you know, move the best option. Uh, And so eventually we... I I think it actually fits in here okay. I think it adds some gravitas to this room. We decided to keep it. It doesn't look great, but it doesn't look terrible. And I kind of think it's funny that we made this $160 accidental purchase. Yeah. I also like that because when you get things from Ikea, it's like, the pieces that were the shelves were obviously wider, and you didn't notice that until no, it was halfway they put were together. Bo- they were in box two. Oh, you didn't even so, you didn't open both boxes at the beginning. I only opened box nah, one because the, the directions yeah. were in box one, and you make the frame. Right. And I like, I d- so you make the frame. So I had done all the screws into the sides, oh, yeah. and then That's I got it. to the part where you're supposed to top in the bottom in. And oh, and you do the feet first. So the feet were on the darn thing. The screws all yeah. up and down the sides were done, and I was just like, well. This well, is what it is. I mean, let's be honest. We know that at least over the rest of your life, you're going to buy 991 more books for the podcast, <laughs> in addition to pro- and probably some other books. And so, 
you might as well have gotten the big one for long-term investment, you know? Yes. <laughs> and and I see you've decorated it, but it's got a lot of empty spaces on it for those books. Well, it's not quite done yet. Yeah, it's kind of in, in a transition. So, <laughs> I mean, I might, with this episode, post a picture of some of the books on it backwards, just so you all can see how stupid it looks. It would look particularly stupid on your bookshelf because it's black. It wouldn't <laughs> give you that minimalist look. It would just make it, it would be really weird. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Just turn all the podcast books around and be like, please guess which one's which. <laughs> It's a good thing you're storing them in perfect order that we read them in. <laughs> I am, except for I noticed that one of them is out of order. And it's bothering And you. it's been bothering me since we started recording. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you can fix it in a yeah. few minutes. Um, do you want to draw the next one for next week? Yes, okay, let's draw do it. it. Da, 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 da. The next book is Alias Grace. Do you know this book? I don't it's know this Margaret book. It's Margaret Atwood book. Oh, that's cool. I have been holding off reading some Margaret Atwood because I know it's on the list, which is nonsensical because it could have been 50 years before Jewel. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to read them, even though I really want to, because I wanted to read them with you on the list. And this one just came out as uh, oh, it's on it's Netflix. Netflix, right? Yeah. I've seen it on, I have seen it on Netflix. I don't know anything about this book. I mean, I read The Handmaid's Tale, like, in high school. Do you, I know a little bit. Do you want me to tell you, or do you want to be surprised? Let's be surprised. Okay. Let's be surprised. But yeah. I just know from seeing oh, the preview for I feel like it's the... also really recent, which makes me excited to read it, because it's going to be easier yeah. to read, because it's brand new. And Margaret modern. Atwood is just so good. Yeah, I love she's a Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yay! yeah. I saw this great sign recently that was said, like, make Margaret Atwood fiction again. <laughs> It was so funny. <laughs> nice. Also, um, as a side note, you wouldn't hear it during the podcast because we kind of cut it out. But we did draw an episode, a book that does not exist. Yeah, and to our, sh- I so I, we were drawing books in advance, and I pulled it out and I went to look it up, and it's not available in English. It's never, no works by the author have ever yeah. been translated. And shockingly, I thought it would be by a language that has is like not Western or, mm-hmm. and it has a very small amount of people that speak it. But actually it's a book in Dutch, which is the closest of any language to English. It's supposed to be the easiest yeah. language to translate to. So I'm pretty surprised. So we, <laughs> it's called gimmick with an exclamation point. We have officially put it on our like to watch list where we'll check in every right. couple of years or so. Right. Because when I Googled this book, there was only, there was very little about it in English online. But one of the things I learned is that the author passed away in 2015, I think. And so the odds of his work being translated, I feel like are higher if he's, if yeah. he's dead, unfortunately. Uh, and so we're going to hold on to it. We're keeping the name so that we might come back to it, you know, in a few years and see if it has been translated. Because I mean, in the next 50 years, it's probably it going to be translated. It's either going to be completely forgotten in the English speaking world or it's all been translated. Or we'll have babblefish that are real life. Yeah, which would be awesome. So um, I, mean, I don't know why Kindle doesn't have that feature. That would make me buy a Kindle if it could translate things. Any language? Yeah, that'd be, that'd so be a awesome. real advanced so, Kindle. It'd be so awesome! It'd be so awesome. I think I feel like that technology should exist. If they have that thing where you can hold up your phone to a text in different languages and it changes the picture to English, that's True. crazy. That's from Star True. Trek. <laughs> um. Well, I think that's wrapping up our episode for tonight. So please remember to follow us on our social media at One Thousand and One Books Pod or you can email us at 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com. And we have all the social medias, the Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram. Yeah, and don't forget to rate and review us on whatever service you find our podcast on. And feel free to email us if you would like as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Have a good night. Happy reading. Happy reading.